Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week it's time for a new book. We're talking about chapters one through three of The Battle of the Labyrinth. We did it. We made it to your favorite book. Woo! I'm so excited. I I already like starting reading it. I'm like, this is so fun. I love this book. It's definitely a different vibe because like the last three books have been like, okay, like they're creative, but not in the level that this book is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, the first three books are like, we are going to travel. And they just keep going west coast to east coast and back and forth. And this one, yeah. they're like underground and everything's awful all the time and it's so cool and they're like they somehow get to all these different places under various parts of the u.s in no logical order because the the labyrinth it's exciting also Also, how are we on the fourth book we just sped through these like damn we went fast i mean these are children's books so we can't really applaud ourselves but yeah but they're like they're pretty big children's books these are like the word count in these? These are hefty. I know. Especially these couple chapters are very dense, but I think we can we ended up cutting through a lot of it because it's a lot of just this is what you missed on Glee, like repeat of everything we already know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a oh, little bit Glee. interesting because at this point, like, we've been new. I like I can't imagine just like if I remember being a child and picking this up and being like on the fourth book and be like, Percy, I know you're already <laughs> my entire personality. Stop repeating stuff like I don't know. Yeah, kids books always do that, um, which is kind of funny when you read it as an adult and you're like, why would I be reading this if I didn't know? But I guess like looking in retrospect, there were books and series that I just like picked up because I liked the cover or I was like, this sounds fun. And then I was like, this is not the first book. And I was confused. So I guess, like, kids are just, they're wild cards. They might just pick up the fourth Percy Jackson book and then be confused. That was the only thing that was in the library at the time. Yeah, or the Scholastic Book Fair. Yeah, that's true. Ugh, I want to do that. I want want an adult version of that. Except, like, the reason it was so nice is that we got to cut class. Like, that was the whole thing. Yeah, and there were, like, the fun toys. Yeah. I loved the little catalogs, too, that we would get, and I always want to get something horse-themed, even though I was afraid of horses and never touched a horse or looked at a horse. I was like, I just want the toys. Same. I used to always buy the, like, the the horse books that would come with the charm bracelets. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not a horse per, like, I never was into horses. I don't ride horse, I've never, I've ridden a horse, like, once, and it was terrible. And I don't know. And then I would also always get the dolphin books. Yeah, there was fair. a dolphin on the cover. I got it. <laughs> I dogs too. I really got into the animal mm. arc series. Um, oh my gosh! I forgot about the. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they all were alliterations. They're like beagle in a backpack. Like. Yeah, eek. I think I read the dolphin one of those. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> They're like normal. They're how are they had to How are they taking care of a dolphin? I don't know. How does she like? It's always like she stumbles across the animal too. So it's like how is she yeah. stumbling across this dolphin? Where does she live? <laughs> yeah, but it definitely it would always come with like a little stuffed animal and like I'm a slut for material objects. So I oh, was yeah. like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll read this book. And my dad would always be like, do you want the book or do you want the item? And I'll be like, mm, both can be true. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, we start our book off by having everything in Percy's life go wrong, classic, and then running back to camp where we truly belong. We have a classic start to the Percy Jackson book, kind of like the first two started like this, and then the third one was like middle of the school year. What? We're all out of sync here, but we're back to normal. So we open on the first week of June with Percy visiting orientation for a new school. Good high school, which is... Sure. uh, Sure, good name, where a certain Paul Blofus works as an English teacher, and he was able to pull some strings to get Percy in. Percy just wants to get it over with. He's used to switching schools every year. He's like, something's going to go wrong. It always does. Um, And after orientation, he has, uh, quote, it's not a date, mom, planned with Annabeth. And then he's off to camp for the summer. So he just wants to get to his not date and then go to camp. But things immediately start to go weird at orientation. 
Percy spots a familiar head of red hair. It's Rachel Elizabeth Dare from the Hoover Dam, where he definitely exposed himself as otherworldly, the girl who could see through the mist, who he, like, slashed with Riptide, and she was like, what are you doing? She's back. He tries his best to avoid her, but of course she finds him, and she remembers full well how he tried to run a sword through her and all the weird stuff she saw and how he saw it too, and she is kind of, like, cornering him and is like, you're Percy. And he's like, yes. Well, he <laughs> first goes, he's like, she's like, I know you. And he's like, you're a Rachel Elizabeth Dare. And she's like, and you're Percy something or the other. And I'm like, oh, Percy, you exposed yourself of being too invested. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I remember your full name. Yeah. <laughs> also, what like a rich white girl to be like, I'm Rachel, Rachel Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. I've never introduced myself with my full name. Yeah. And I take pride in that. Well, people have to, like, really focus on my first name, and I have to say it at least six (laughs) times for them to get the pronunciation right, so I don't even try with the last name. Yeah, you're like, I'm not even going to go there. (laughs) They are interrupted by cheerleaders. As Well, Rachel's questioning Percy, and they're, for Percy's sake, interrupted by cheerleaders taking to the floor. They're at, like, they're in, like, a gym, like, an assembly situation. Who, Rachel just yelps at the cheerleaders and tells Percy to run. And Percy's like, these are normal cheerleaders. But, and thinks about it for a moment. Because he doesn't want to get into trouble. It's his mom's boyfriend's school. He, Paul doesn't know everything about Percy. Paul is doing him a favor, getting him into the school, and he doesn't want to mess it up. But then he remembers Rachel's ability to see through the mist. And he thinks that maybe she noticed something he didn't. He's like, hmm, maybe something happened. Percy uses the brain cell. Mm. He finds Rachel in the band room, hiding behind a bass drum. Rachel is clearly freaked out by the cheerleaders, but won't tell Percy what she saw because she thinks he wouldn't believe her. He tells her he knows she can see through the mist, that she isn't like normal mortals, which makes her question if he's not immortal. He's like, what do you, she's like, what do you mean not like most mortals? Are you're talking like you're not a mortal? Mm-hmm. And then, then and there, he just tells her about the gods being real. Rachel immediately believes him. For years, she thought she was crazy, seeing all these monsters and having nobody she could talk to about it and nobody who would believe her, which I think is the reason why she, like, saw Percy and immediately was like, hey, I know you. You're that dude. I'm gonna talk to you until you tell me what's going on because Mm -hmm. it's, like, the only person she's ever met who also saw all this stuff. Percy starts to tell her what he is, a half-blood, but then the cheerleaders, Tammy and Kelly, come bursting into the band room. Notably, Tammy with an I and Kelly with an I. Of course. Of course. Love that for them. Percy still doesn't see their true form. He just sees cheerleaders walking towards him, and he gets put in a bit of a trance about how beautiful Tammy is until Rachel snaps him out of it. Kelly and Tammy reveal their true forms to Percy, which he describes as a vampire but with a donkey left leg and a bronze human right leg. They are the Ampusai. So, Manasa, what, uh, what's the Greek myth of the Ampusai? So the primary source for the Ampusai is actually from comedies by oh. Aristophanes. So they're kind of this comedic figure, but I think they're best described as kind of like a fan- phantom, like one of the first ideas of a phantom they're shape-shifting females like which are sometimes they're women sometimes they're beast with a single copper leg or a donkey leg whichever one and they're a servant of hecate um they are thought to seduce and then feast on young men which is good for her and it's all (laughs) comedy so you can't really take her super seriously in fact one of the comedies the whole point of her is while the main character is journeying from Persia to India, they see an Amposai and they're just like, you're so ugly. And they just like make it, they just bully it until it hides. Oh, that's like literally the whole point of it. And I was just like, I guess. But um, in other, like, like it, even in the concept of like seducing and eating young men, it's a comedy. Like she's like, I got my student really fat because I wanted to eat him eventually. And like I'm confessing that I like like young men because they're pure or whatever. Huh. And then I like that. have taken that and kind of been like, okay, it's kind of like a vampire, it's kind of like a phantom, it's kind of like a she was beautiful once. They love the idea of like, she was beautiful once and then she became evil. And I'm like, it's like very important to all of these men who write about her that, or them, because it's like a, like a species. They're always beautiful women. 
but like mm. with the donkey or brass like copper leg because and men like, all think that women's beauty is just temptation we're actually all just donkeys underneath <laughs> or we're made out of like metal so we can't yeah. love them back that's the only reason we're metal donkeys <laughs> that makes it sound like we're like uh, like hard metal <laughs> <laughs> Like a band with like the hard a hard metal donkeys? The, metal do- the hard metal donkeys. That's our band name. We're starting it. It's going to be really good. We're starting good. it. Neither of us can play instruments well. Yeah, it's going to go really well. I'll play the triangle. <laughs> no, that's my instrument. Both play the triangle. <laughs> At different times, and it's really... <laughs> and somehow we're not in rhythm. Like yeah, somehow it still sounds bad. Yes, I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, I like them because they are pretty comedic honestly in this like they're not they're like an annoying threat consistently yeah. so they I, they say that they usually hunt men hashtag girl boss and they're targeting <laughs> percy but they make an exception for rachel percy slashes at tammy and just kills her she like disappears into like the mist goo stuff and then it's percy versus kelly which is soon to be is soon to be very long-term enemy kelly Kelly kind of haunts Percy's life. <laughs> well, Kelly's like this right hand character of Luke, who's like always yeah. been like, Luke, you're so hot. And he's just like, Luke is clearly like not tempted by and like disgusted by her, yeah. which we'll get into because I think it's very f- typical that Luke is disgusted by the company he keeps, but still mm-hmm. needs them and is aligned with them. Like, oh, because he thinks in his head he's better. Anyway, Luke is the worst. Like, we'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly says to Percy, you don't even know what's happening, do you? Soon your pretty little camp will be in flames. Your friends made slaves to the lord of time, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, A monologue. Yeah, I love a good Millen monologue. So clearly stuff is happening at camp, and Percy doesn't know about it, and the Titans are up to no good. A tour group is approaching the room, so Kelly throws a tuba and then immediately points at Percy and blames him, which I'm like, I guess if you can't kill him, she's like, I'll get him expelled. Because the fates hate Percy, it's Paul Blowfist leading that group that walks into the room and he's like, Percy, what are you doing? And then Kelly explodes into flames and it looks like, makes it look like Percy like threw a tuba and then set the room on fire <laughs> and he's standing there like holding his sword. I don't know if they just see a pen, but he looks like ridiculous. <laughs> Rachel helps Percy get out of the school. Um, he makes a, They make a break for it, and once he's on the street, he immediately runs up to Annabeth again because the fates hate him. For a moment, she's in a good mood. She's ready for their date, but then Rachel appears around the corner covered in monster blood, and Annabeth is like, who, who is this? Who do you think you are? Percy introduces the two girls, and Rachel says she'll distract the school and make up some story, and that he should get out of there, but not before promising to tell her more about the gods. Annabeth is immediately pissed off at Percy. I'm gonna read their exchange, because I think it's hilarious. Well, first of all, she just kind of stares at Percy and then turns away and takes off. (laughs) And he says, hey, I jogged after her. There were these two Empusai, I tried to explain. They were cheerleaders, see, and they said camp was going to burn and... You told a mortal mortal girl about half-bloods? She can see through the mist. She saw the monsters before I did. So you told her the truth. She recognized me from Hoover Dam, so... You've met her before? Uh, last winter. But seriously, I barely know her. She's kind of cute. I... I never thought about it. (laughs) I just adore it. I... Okay. I Maybe I'm gonna expose myself. I... Hot take, I love Jealous Annabeth. I know that, like, I know I saw, like, on Twitter a lot of conversations about, like, when they make the show, they shouldn't, like, do the whole love triangle thing because, like, it's sexist. But I love, I love the Jealous Annabeth. I love it. I think it's hilarious. I also, like, I talked about it in my chapter. Like, when I was younger, I was definitely, like, Annabeth is just, like, jealous because she sees this girl as a threat. But I always liked it more of the idea now, especially as an adult. And I think that this is how they should do it in the show or at least allude to it. It's, like, not about Rachel at all. It's, like, maybe Annabeth realizing that she has feelings for Percy and then realizing that she's, like, when she sees him with another girl, even if it is in a very, like, casual platonic way it's like oh shit i like my best friend 
And yeah. Like, I like him a lot more than I originally anticipated. And she's mad at herself. And she's also mad at Percy for changing yes. in her mind from, like, her best friend to this guy that she's in love with. Yeah. I would be pissed. I would be like, no, we had a good thing. Why do you have to? Like, he hasn't changed his personality at all. No. But in her head, she's like, you've become, like, palatable and, like, loving and, like, my soulmate and it's really frustrating because you're not also immediately all over me and like he's clearly the dumbest boy alive like I'd be so embarrassed to be in love with the dumbest boy alive (laughs) oh poor Annabeth yeah I just I love I love I love a good not not a bad love triangle I love a good love triangle you know where it's not really a love triangle it's just about more internal drama yeah, where it's yeah. more of like a, like a mutual pining, but with the third person who makes it confusing. I love yeah. that. I love that. That's the best, yeah. It's good. And I, I know that some people think it's sexist, but you know what? It's my problematic favorite trope, I guess. And on that note, Percy and Annabeth head to Camp Half-Blood. <laughs> Let me see what my notes are. I love that how Sally ships Percybeth. I love how she's just like, your date after school and Percy's like mom it's not a date and she's like you're going in the movies together alone and he's like it's not a date and she's like okay Percy I love it um my other thought is I was like I don't really get what the problem is with telling mortals that the gods are real like I don't get why like I know Annabeth was really just mad because Percy has like a female friend that's not her but She's like, how could you tell a mortal that about all this? And it's not like they're fighting, like, a covert war. Or, like, the mortals are involved. Well, some mortals, I guess, are involved. But it's not like, like, the sake of the mission or whatever they're doing will be, like, if, if it's, like, exposed to the mortals, it's not like that's bad. Most people would just be like, you're crazy and wouldn't care. Yeah. And also, even if they did care, it's like, wouldn't they get more devotion from their people because people are going to convert to I don't know Greek instead of being whatever they were before and even if they did care they can't see I mean with the exception of people like Rachel they can't see through the mist exactly so that's they're not going to get hurt (laughs) no it's 100% like they don't want mortals to get involved because mortals alliances can be shifty like that's what they that's true found out in the last book yeah. But I also think it's mostly Annabeth is being like, how can you like immediately confide in this girl? Like, who is she to you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I think Annabeth's also trying to, like, rationalize her anger. Mm-hmm. Like, she's trying, she's, like, really angry be- at her, like, because she has feelings for Percy, and she sees Percy with another girl, and it makes her more angry that she has feelings, because that didn't used to bug her, you know? Yeah. And then she's like, what can I pretend to be mad, actually mad about? And she's like, Telling a mortal. That's what I'm angry about. There's nothing else going on here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's my chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, chapter one. two is The Underworld Sends Me a Prank Call. And now this is one of our favorite chapters in the sense of it is a lot of information at once. And it's a lot of... The person needs to interact with a lot of people in order to tell the reader, hey, by the way, I'm a half-blood. Oh, by the way, this happened last summer. Oh, by the way, Luke is an enemy of ours. And, like, it's a lot of information and it's a lot of, like, normal camp stuff. Mm -hmm. So we'll dive into it. Annabeth is pissed and not speaking to Percy at all, except for some small info that she had a bad time in San Francisco because it was full of monsters and has visited camp twice since Christmas and no further elaboration, except, like, also including that Nico, like, there was no trace of Nico. Um, Percy's a little bit pissed that Annabeth was in New York and didn't tell him twice over the year. Also, they're in a taxi headed towards camp, by the way. Percy uses Annabeth's cell to call his mom, especially because she'll have some explaining to do to her boyfriend, but he gets her machine instead and leaves a message. They write in silence, and Percy's like really wants to call Rachel. Rachel's grabbed his hand and written her number in permanent marker, which pissed Annabeth off even more. And he's looking at her hand, at his hand, wanting to call her, mostly because he has so many questions and feels like since she can see through the mist, she might have a lot more answers for him. And also the person he wants answers from isn't speaking to him, Mm -hmm. so. Can you imagine if he had taken Annabeth's phone and called Rachel then? Oh my god. 
She would have just killed him right then and there. Prophecy or not, like, he's dead. I would have been like, that's valid, honestly. Like, <laughs> They get out of the taxi and pass Peleus, the new copper dragon who guards the camp borders. Percy notes that there's tension in the air, like, everyone's acting normally, but everyone also knows Luke's next attack will be on camp, and it's just, like, holding their breath until it actually happens. Annabeth says that she needs to go talk to Clarice, which is Percy's like, well, we hate Clarice, like... What do you mean? And she's like, well, we have something that we've been working on, and I'm not going to elaborate. So um, Chiron wants to talk to you anyway, so before the hearing, bye-bye. Percy then says, he's like, oh, I said hi to some of my friends. And I was like, what friends? Your friends is Annabeth. Like, stop it. Aw, Blackjack? (laughs) Blackjack, I know. It's like he's like, starts name-dropping all these people, like Selena and, Mm. like, Charles and, like, the Stoll brothers and stuff. Mm-hmm. He then goes sword the sword arena to practice because he's really just like pumped and angry that Annabeth is being weird. He's like the at least sword fighting is something I understand. Girls are too complicated, <laughs> like such a boy thing to say. In the arena, he sees a huge hellhound. He says that he was attacked by one the size of like a rhino when he was twelve. But this one is the size of a tank, and Percy goes nuts, wondering how it got into camp and how nobody's reacting to it. So he immediately goes and attacks it. Like, he's about to swing his sword, but it's intercepted. Uh, and that's how he meets Quintus, the new swords guy, I guess. His role? Did they not have a sword Well, guy? his role isn't really explained. He's kind of taking over for Mr. D, who has gone to visit some old mm-hmm. friends to make sure they're still on the god side. And... Um, mm-hmm. But they don't really say what his role is particularly. If he's replaced Mr. D, if he's hired as well, and Mr. D is also gone, like, it's not really explained. Quintus is described as a man in his 50s with short gray hair and a clipped beard who's in... Percy's like, you know, for an old dude, he's, like, pretty hot. And I was like, stop, Percy. (laughs) Percy is just thirsting over all these. He loved Annabeth Annabeth's dad too. Like what's going on? He has pretty intense daddy issues. Let's let's be real. That's true. That's true. Percy notes that at the base of Quintus's neck, there seems to be some sort of strange purplish blotch, like a birthmark. But Quintus quickly covers it up before Percy can really figure out what it is. Mrs. O'Leary, who is. The Hellhound, which I love that name. Again, Mrs. O'Leary is married. Like, who is he? Who's Mr. or other Mrs. O'Leary? Good for her. You know, she's had some happy little spouse somewhere. She's like under yeah. legal law, like married. I love it. <laughs> Mrs. O'Leary crashes into some boxes while like Quintus had thrown um, a sword or something to distract her to while he talked to Percy because, you know, Percy's about to attack his dog. And in the process of playing fetch, uh, she crashes into some boxes that Percy sees are from Triple G Ranch. And Quintus is like, this is a surprise fun activity for later. It's dangerous items please be and fragile. Please be careful. And Percy's like, oh, good. This is going to end up being bad, isn't it? Quintus <laughs> also reveals that he's a half-blood, which is shocking to Percy, who has never seen an adult half-blood. Quintus is like, yeah, some of us actually live to be old and don't have scary prophecies hanging over our heads. And Percy's like, oh, do you know about mine? And Quintus is the most mysterious man alive. He's like, maybe. And that's the end of that. Nice. Chiron sees Percy and comes over to him. Percy notices that Chiron is friendly to Quintus, but is also a little uneasy around him. Chiron steals Percy away and says that Quintus is a very qualified half-blood and swordsman and they're happy to have him, but there's something that he doesn't understand. He's like, mutters off to himself, like, something just doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, like, doesn't elaborate because nobody tells Percy anything. Mm-hmm. Chiron, after hearing Percy's horrible school experience, confirms his suspicion that Kelly is not dead despite bursting into flames, and Percy would have probably died if it had not been for Rachel. Kyron says that they will talk more in depth about the t- attack on camp, but they have to go to the woods for Grover. Apparently, he's on trial. <laughs> they go deep into the woods, past where Percy's, like, never seen before, and he's also riding on Kyron's back to save time, because they're late. Weird. I know. Weird. And <laughs> it's just like, okay, this is my friend who's also a horse. So like, what, what, what is the level of comfort of when you start being okay to ride your centaur friends? 
Yeah, and it's also like your mentor. I don't know. I find I would feel a little weird riding on Chiron's back, but all right. And I mean, the horses are meant to be, I mean, not meant, but like many horses, you know, are but ridden But does Percy on. have to like have his hands around his torso? <laughs> or is he like, like, I I realize I've like imagined him side saddle the entire time. <laughs> I can't, I like that. Yeah, I didn't realize he's like right, like he's like legs across. Like I'm imagining him like gently, like side saddle swaying as Chiron mm-hmm. goes, but that probably doesn't make sense either. No, especially uh, if they're galloping. I definitely hate both visuals, so it's fine. Same, I hate it. They find a bunch of satyrs sitting in a circle with Grover standing in the middle. Percy guesses that they are the Council of Cloven Elders, which is odd. Why are there no centaurs in the council? cloven elders or other hooved creatures but it's fine percy realizes that he's now taller than grover since satyrs age much slower than humans and like grover looks rough like his acne's flaring up his hair is a little bit longer he just looks like he's upset and hasn't been doing well but other than that nothing about him has changed on the other side is clarice annabeth and a girl percy has never seen before annabeth is hugging and comforting this new girl whose name is juniper and mouths to Percy that this is Grover's girlfriend. Percy's like, um, what? Which I thought this was crazy. Like, Grover is, like, supposedly Percy's best friend. They share an empathy link, and Percy has no idea that he has a whole love interest and then also a girl girlfriend. Yeah, it's a little weird. But something that's really funny and also is very telling of Percy as a person is like, what do you mean Grover has a girlfriend? How did he get a girlfriend? And then he like looks closer and realizes Juniper is a tree nymph and is like, oh, that makes sense now. And I was like, does it be weird? Are you like being like, oh, like that she's lesser than a human girlfriend. So that makes sense or whatever. Ew, I hope he's not thinking that. God, Percy. I know. Just made Grover him very can racist. get girls. Um... Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Grover is 30, so you'd hope so. <laughs> He's like a 14-year-old still. I know. It's fine. The council does not believe that Grover heard Pan, and they've waited six months for any kind of proof, but Grover has been unable to reproduce anything. Clarice is girl-bossing and just, like, being like, no, it's okay. We'll, like, we'll figure it out together. Don't fight him. He's not worth the fight when Juniper gets really upset and wants to go punch all of the council members. Which is odd. Like, first of all, why is Clarice here? And second of all, like, why is Clarice here? <laughs> and Percy thinks this is insane. She's like, why? What is this, like, weird girl squad? Like, what is happening? Percy's like, excuse me, I'm Annabeth's friend. Yeah. Nobody I'm her else. only friend, yeah. Clarice is mean and doesn't have friends. <laughs> I can't change my worldview, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's already been disrupted enough by Gro- Grover getting a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. The council agrees to give Grover one more week or they will revoke his searcher's license and then they dismiss for lunch. Grover is obviously depressed, and Clarice reminds him that there is another option he hasn't considered, which Juniper is, like, very not a fan of. She's like, it's too dangerous. Um, And Percy is still confused because nobody literally tells him anything ever. And Annabeth says she'll fill Percy in later, but they have to go to cabin inspection first. Percy runs back because he's the only one in his cabin, and he knows it'll be messy because he knows who's causing the mess, and it's himself. He's like, it's not fair. I haven't been here all year. I also left in a mess before I left. Nothing is fair in my life. How could I know my actions would have consequences? (laughs) And he runs back, and he finds Tyson, who has cleaned the entire cabin. He's even decorated and made it homey. Also, he's fixed Percy's shield, they pass the inspection with flying collars, and Percy's so thrilled to see his brother. They go to the forges and hang out, and Tyson kind of teaches him how to make weapons. Tyson tells stories of how there are tons of battles raging across the Atlantic, and everything's a little bit tense down underwater. Then they go and canoe with Annabeth, who is happy to see Tyson, but is clearly distracted with something else. Percy asks again, please. What, what is Clarice talking about? And Annabeth mentions that they had scouted something, but it was dangerous. And it was an option for Grover, but it's especially dangerous for, you know, creatures like Grover. However, before she can even get into it, Tyson says that he's afraid of the goat boy. 
And they were like, what? And he's like, the goat boy makes me nervous because when Tyson was on the quest with them, it was the Sea of Monsters when Grover was stuck with Polyphemus getting married or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Tyson and Grover have minimal interaction. And Percy's like, well, my two, like two of the most important men in my life can't get along. Like everything's horrible. Yeah. So they basically stop talking about Grover and they move on. Before dinner, Tyson and Percy go practice sword fighting with Quintus. Clearly, he and Percy seem to get along really well, and he gives him a lot of good pointers. Percy, like a child, hammers him with a lot of really blunt questions. Have you always been a sword fighter? What's that weird mark on your neck? And obviously, Quintus, being the most mysterious man alive, doesn't fully answer any question. They fight for a good amount of time while Tyson wrestles Mrs. O'Leary, and Percy notices that Quintus hasn't hasn't even broken a sweat. Like, he's chilling he's fine percy's like dying in the corner on their way to dinner percy fills in tyson about nico and what happened and tyson quite quickly picks up that it's a secret and promises not to tell anyone and he also really understands like nico's identity could really compromise the prophecy and really throw things in the wrong direction if luke's army gets to him first Percy can't sleep, so he goes into the fountain and asks to be shown whatever he needs to be shown, huh. which is, you know, can be convenient. Can you imagine if it was just, like, the Care Bears or something stupid, or, like, his mom <laughs> and Paul just have an at it? Oh, God. <laughs> you don't know what you're asking for. Like, it's very much a lot of, like, faith that the, the like, Iris was going to show him something good or useful. Yeah, what if Iris was in a bad mood and was like, I'm going to show you something that's going to ruin your life forever. I know, just like make, sear it into your memory forever. Instead, he sees Nico, who looks aged. Percy's like, it's only been a year and he's supposed to be like maybe 12, but he looks like at least 35. It's been like six months. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, but he looks like he's 35 and he's throwing away his little magic quest cards or whatever that game was called. And I was like, that's so sad. And there's clearly someone else with him who's like, yeah, it's a childish game. Throw it away. And Percy sees it's a ghost of some sort. Nico is in the underworld and he's clearly trying to get his sister back. The ghost mentioned that there is another way, a soul for a soul, but it cannot be Nico's. Nico's like, I've offered a soul already, which I, it's like my own. And I was like, you wanted, Bianca didn't give three shits about you when she joined the Hunters. Hey, she got him that little statue. And then she died. Like, I think he would rather have her. Like, come on, Bianca. Yeah, I mean, she's also like 14. Like, she's not clearly a rational grown adult, but immortal nonetheless. Not where it counts, though. The ghost says Nico has to get a soul that has cheated death. A soul that, like, basically Hades would not get anyway. And Nico's like, that's murder, bro. Like, no thanks. That's gross. And the ghost was like, has I ever led you, like, astray? I promise I'll guide and help you. And Percy's like, you are sus. Like, he reminds Nico, I mean, Percy of bullies who like take advantage of kids and force them to do things that they don't want to do or like trick them into doing things which is like a great way of like basically saying like he's very abusive and toxic and Percy can Mm -hmm. see that but obviously can't help Nico because it's he's just spying on him instead (laughs) unfortunately for Percy time runs out he doesn't have any more coins on him and then Percy's terrified he's like okay Nico's coming for a soul that's cheated death so Nico, and then it's all about vengeance and revenge, etc. So that means Nico's gonna come for me. And I was like, not everything's about you, baby boy. Like, come on. Percy's like, I've cheated death. But she's like, clearly he's not using his brain. Like, it's not cheating death doesn't mean like, oh, I've gotten away from monsters who've tried to kill me. Like, obviously that was part of the plan. That's not cheating death, like actively cheating death. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> my only note on this is um, I love how Percy is like, fine, Annabeth, it's okay. I have my own friends, and his friends is his brother. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I have my own friends. Tyson. And like, Tyson was there by chance. Like, he would have just been wandering alone. I love that. It's great. I love a little, like, I love when Percy and Annabeth have their stupid little quarrels. 
and they don't talk to each other and Percy's like I don't really have other friends I mean I have tons of friends <laughs> it's great oh man When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, moving on to chapter three. We play tag with scorpions. So camp is buzzing when Percy wakes up. Apparently a dragon was spotted near the borders of camp, and it's not their their own dragon, it's another dragon. <laughs> and clearly evil dragon. It's a bad dragon. A strange dragon, a stranger dragon. Yes, it's not friend dragon. Clearly beasts have been creeping closer and closer to camp, and things just aren't as safe as they once were. Luke and his army of monsters are planning an invasion of camp, and they all suspect it'll happen this summer. To which Quintus is like, war games! <laughs> I'm like, what is with the camp leaders and playing games? That's the only solution they can think of for anything. I mean, it kind of feels a little bit like like this year with the pandemic and all of like everything just kind of erupting as we know it, and society crumbling into pieces, and... I'm sure people going into corporate jobs and being like, okay, I hope this email finds you well. Like, you're just trying to keep things going, and it's yeah. in the worst way possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. They're trying to make it, like, a fun camp activity, but I'm like, it's it's war. War <laughs> games. So then Chiron, I also, like, have a whole... I don't understand the point of playing war games when, like, they might actually die. Like, they're like, the point is to not die, and I'm like, what? Well, don't you want to keep your people alive for the actual war? I know. Doesn't make sense to me. Can't but afford I guess... to lose people at this point. Yeah, apparently they can. <laughs> so then Chiron brings Grover over to Percy's table in the pavilion where they're all eating. And it's basically just like, Grover, talk to Percy, and then leaves. And Grover mumbles, he wants you to convince me. And Percy doesn't know what Grover's talking about. But then Annabeth slides in next to Percy and is like, I'll tell you what it's about. The labyrinth. Now, this is a camp where children climb a fire lava wall frequently and they die often, but apparently the, what floors all the children is the fact that Annabeth sits at the Poseidon table against the rules. <laughs> like, this is what causes a commotion, which honestly is kind of true to being 15. Like, yeah, yeah that that tracks. Um, Annabeth doesn't care, though. Like, everyone's kind of looking at them, and it's like, and Percy's like, you're not supposed to sit here. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> She says that they have to help Grover. Her and Clarice have been investigating the labyrinth. That's what they've been investigating. And I also, just side note, I adored the story of the labyrinth. I know we talked about it earlier, like, with the Minotaur when we introduced that 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 thick boy with the earring. And, yeah, I just love the story of the labyrinth, which they go into later in this chapter. So, like, all of the Greek gods, the, the labyrinth shifted with Western civilization. This labyrinth was built to contain the Minotaur on Crete, beneath the palace, is now beneath America. It's been growing for years, lacing its way under western cities, connecting them together. It's always growing, changing, and expanding. This was a labyrinth that was created by Daedalus for the purpose of containing the Minotaur in the original myth. And Annabeth mentions that last year Clarice went on a mission for Chiron. The one, that one she got back from in the last chapter of the Titan's Curse, where she looked like crap, but Chiron ignored her and was like, hot chocolate. And <laughs> Clarice was like, we should talk about my mission. He was like, no. Turns out Clarice had found Chris Rodriguez on her quest, who is one of the half-bloods that Percy remembers had abandoned camp and joined Luke's <laughs> army. Remember in the movie, Chris Rodriguez, which is like a very, like, you know, Latin last name, was this white boy yeah and they like randomly were like look it's chris rodriguez and the second one is <laughs> so bad he apparently appeared in arizona last summer randomly which is where clarice lives with her mom wandering around babbling about string he'd been driven mad and clarice helped him and like brought him to chiron and they chiron questioned him and wasn't able to get much out of him but just learned that luke's men have been exploring the labyrinth 
They don't know why, but they intuit that Luke is trying to find Ariadne's string. In the myth, Daedalus, the inventor of the maze, crafted a navigation instrument of some kind that he gave to Ariadne, who gave to Theseus to guide him through so he could slay the Minotaur. And Ariadne is, who we mentioned in the last book, the one who is married to Dionysus now. All these myths come in together. Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, Luke and his men want to be able to navigate the maze. And on top of that, Annabeth says that they think that Pan is underground. Grover hates being underground. He's like, Pan finding Pan is my life goal, but this is where I draw the line. Mm -hmm. Underground. I'm not doing it. But no clearly, caves for me. Yeah. He's like, this may be my life goal, but I have my limits, you guys. <laughs> And clearly the labyrinth, though, is the place to be right now. Like, Luke's trying to get to it. They think Pan's in it. Annabeth tries to convince Grover that it's his last chance to find Pan, since the council is going to revoke his searcher's license. Like, he might as well just try to find if Pan is in the labyrinth, and then if he doesn't find him, then he can go be a tap dancer forever or whatever. Um, but Grover is reluctant. He goes, he leaves and goes to meet Juniper. Percy spends the afternoon visiting Blackjack, you know, his other friend, and then after dinner, Quintus has them all suit up for some war games. They're divided into teams of two, and the goal is to collect golden laurels without dying. Like, that's the goal? We're gonna try to- what if any of them die? We don't care, I guess. You're just gonna lose the weak. The weak will get weeded out in these games. There are six monsters, and each one has a package of laurels that they have to slay in order to get- or or each one has a package, but only one of the packages contains the laurels, so they have to, like, kill all the monsters. Percy is paired up with Annabeth, and the two of them are off. They make it to Zeus's fist, which is a huge pile of boulders in the middle of the woods. Juniper pops out and scares them, wanting to talk about Grover and how distraught he's been, and begs them not to let him go underground. They hear another rustle in the woods, and out comes a glistening amber insect, ten feet tall with jagged pincers, an armored tail, and a stinger as long as Riptide. Not just one, but three of them. They back Percy and Annabeth up against the boulder, and, and Percy and Annabeth end up slipping into a crack between two of the largest boulders. And then they realize that somehow they're in a long room. It's the size of a cave, larger, yet Percy thinks there's no way a cave could have fit in between the boulders. It's a corridor, and Annabeth is immediately freaked out. She starts to feel the walls. Uh, the crack that they slip through is gone now. It looks like the corridor stretches endlessly in both directions. Uh, while examining the walls, Annabeth finds a Greek delta, which she says is the mark of Daedalus. And they're like, like clearly they found the labyrinth. They're freaking out. And then the roof slides open, and they see the night sky. Tyson has found them. Percy and Annabeth are brought back to the campers, and it turns out they've been gone for almost an hour, even though it felt like only minutes to them. They've found what Luke has been after, an entrance to the labyrinth right at camp. I have a few notes on this. I was thinking about how all the monsters creeping into camp and making it unsafe, unsafe like correlating with Percy growing up and like the destroying the illusion of safety and childhood innocence is like very sad and metaphorical. And... I love, yeah, I, I had this similar note. I love how Percy's non-Annabeth friends are just Grover, Blackjack, and Tyson. <laughs> he has no human friends. Yeah, and I also love how it's kind of implied when all the campers find Percy and Annabeth and are like, where were you? And they were like, we were just in there for like a minute. And they're all like, uh-huh. And they definitely all think that Percy and Annabeth went to go make out until they figure out that it's like they found the labyrinth. But they're all just kind of like, they're all looking at them skeptically. They're just like, we fell in a hole. And they're all like, sure. <laughs> I love the idea that, that all the campers are like really into them getting together and then continually are disappointed because Percy and Annabeth both make like stupid decisions. We're like, oh yeah, they were like in a cave to make out. Like, no, we were in a cave on a quest. They're like, dang it. <laughs> yeah, those are all my thoughts. <laughs> Okay, well, I have some lightning bolt questions for you. Perfect. What would you teach at camp if you were forced to work there? Oh, God. What would I teach? Would you be, like, an activities counselor, or would you do, like, academia? Oh. Would you do... I think it would be really funny to do, like, sex ed, and then oh my God. be like, avoid Zeus, that's the entire thing. It's like, you know how they preach abstinence? They just preach avoid Zeus. Oh, my God, yeah, I want to do sex ed. 
That would be so fun. That's what I do at work, kind of, while I help people who do that. So I could do that. I would love that. I would also love to teach, like, some kind of, like, emotional wellness class. Because <laughs> they all have a lot of issues. And I do, like, group yeah. therapy with them. <laughs> I think it'd be fun to do, like, uh, I, I personally would love to be, like, the lava wall climbing oh, instructor or so something. Cool. But also, I don't want to die and I don't have a lot of upper body strength. I thought you were a jock. <laughs> I'm a jock. A lower body. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ooh, I'd also love to teach badminton. Because <laughs> we did it once. That would be so year. fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have another one. What is something absolutely irrational you've been jealous about someone for? Um, <laughs> so as a person who, uh, I think the reason I love this book is because I relate to anime that's just like a petty, jealous bitch when I was that <laughs> age. Like, same girl. Um, but something, this is the one that comes to mind. <laughs> More recently, when Mike and I were reading, this is so stupid, when Mike and I were reading Percy Jackson, and we were talking about, like, the characters and, like, how, like, hot Percy is and the drawings and stuff. And Mike is just like, oh, yeah, Annabeth is, like, the, the dream fictional girl. And then I was like, excuse me? What, am I not tall enough for you? Am I not blonde enough? And I was like... <laughs> oh I, like, God. legitimately... And Mike was like, are you jealous of Annabeth? And I was like, I am. I am. <laughs> You're married. <laughs> I know. And he was like, I'm married to you. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, well, I'm not, what, 5'10", like it says she is. I'm only 5'1", so she's I guess I'm She's 5'10". She's really tall. In the, I think she's not, I might have exaggerated, but she's like 5'8 or 5'9", according to. How tall is Annabeth Chase? Okay, last name needed. She's 5'9". See? She's really tall. And I got jealous of that. I was like, what, you want someone who's 5'9"? That's like as tall as Mike is. You want someone the same height as you? Go find her then. As I feel like everything else I've been jealous of is rational. Everything is completely yeah. rational. Um, <laughs> but that's the one I'll give myself as irrational. It's not like, I mean, I've definitely been jealous over way more irrational things, but I'm still convincing myself they're rational, so it's fine. The emotional, like, baggage and things behind it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. What's your answer? It's like, I, now I don't know. Well, you came I, up like, with this question. I know, because I was like, oh, I've been, like, irrational of, like, people going on trips and stuff. Oh, That's yeah. not irrational. That's pretty, like, I want to go do things. Um, I've been really weirdly jealous of, like, people who can rollerblade recently. <gasps> Okay, same. I think it's the aesthetic. I think it's the fact that, like, rollerblades are really hard to get your hands on right now, too. Yeah, I legit, like, the past few weeks I've been like, I want to buy rollerblades. And I know I definitely hurt myself. Oh, yeah. But people look so cool. So, I went for a run uh, yesterday or two days ago. And in the trail I was on, there were these two girls with the cutest roller skates on. Um, not even blades, roller skates, and they were just, like, bad at it, too, and they were just, like, rolling around, and I've never wanted to be someone more in my life in this moment, like, randomly. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I have, like, a, a little bit of a deeper question. Oh, God. Would you go to Camp Half-Blood this summer knowing it was going to be attacked, and also you're not the main character, so you don't have, like, you're not going to be Ooh. providing a lot of help because you're not you know, Child of Prophecy, Friends with Child of the Prophecy, etc. Um, and you know it's going to get attacked, or would you stay behind? And it's not even being like, a, oh, you're a coward, you're not fighting to the death to protect your friends. But at the same time, like, are you going to provide any useful things to it? Yeah, like you don't have plot armor to protect mm. you. Exactly. I think I would go to camp, mm. but I think, like, it would be... It would be definitely much more difficult, and of course my brain is like, well, this depends in this hypothetical world. What is my home life like? Exactly, you know, like... exactly what I thought, too. Yeah, but I think that I, if Camp Half-Blood was like a second home to me, 
-hmm. I think I'd have a really hard time not defending it when, like, my friends were. I think I have too strong of a, like, what's the word? I don't know what the word is. I have too strong of a, like, uh, sacrifice. No, not self-sacrificing. Not saving. I don't know. I would be, like, too morally conflicted to not go. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. I have, I put too much weight in, like, I'd be like, oh, but I have to save the camp. Even if I'd, like, not be able to do anything to help. Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on, like, who was going to be at camp and if being yeah. there would be worse or better. And then also it depend on if, like, there are people at home who are depending on me. Like, I'm not going to pull a Bianca and just, like, run off because, like, I think I have a higher <laughs> calling. Like, if I yeah. have people I'm taking care of at home who need me alive, I think I'd be like, I'm sorry, like, I need to do my part in this part of it, too. But I think it would be really hard not to be at camp when, like, all of my friends and people are there. If I hate everyone, that's a different... I'm like, I'm not joining yeah. Luke's side, but I'm probably not participating. Yeah. But if there Like, if I was, also... like, Nico, like, you know, Nico doesn't really have friends at camp. He kind of hates all of them. Like, yeah. I don't blame him for doing his own thing right now, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, he's also trying to figure out what it means to be a half-blood. He hasn't even, like, yeah. really come to his own. He's dealing with a lot of trauma and grief all at once. And if he's not a main character, like, Percy has, like, a lot of things that he has to do. And he, he's constantly busy and has to fulfill these things. Um, what everyone else is, is, like, twiddling their thumbs. Like, spoiler out for this book, it's a lot of twiddling thumbs waiting for Percy to come back from his quest. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's, like, the battle of the labyrinth. Yeah. I feel like I am too much of a person who needs, who's, like, needs to be doing something that I would mm -hmm. be, like, either give me a quest and something to do, or I'm going to go do something else that is helpful. Yeah, I would definitely, like, end up making my own weird project at camp. Yeah. Like, I would be, like, border improvement. Like, yeah. <laughs> Chiron would be, like, we don't need that, Aaron. And I would be, like, yes, we do. <laughs> Well, you'd be correct, and Kyron would be like, but we could play Capture the Flag instead. Yeah. And then, you He'd know. be like, war games. And I'd be like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably go. Would I die? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I'm not. If not I might a, be a casualty. Not an important character. They might kill me off for just the effect yeah. of people are dying in this yeah. war. The yeah. only good thing I have is, like, as a child of Athena, most of them are, like, in the planning tent, so I might be, like, saved a little bit there, you know? <laughs> yeah, and as a child of Persephone, I don't exist, so it makes yeah, it a lot easier. Yeah, you don't easier. exist. Yeah. You could be, like, growing plants. Yes. Poison plants. Poison plants. Constantly hunted by Hades. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just running from Hades <laughs> You die, die. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those are my questions amazing well for next week we are going to be doing chapters four through six which means this book starts off so fast we're immediately jumping into that labyrinth and uh remember to follow us on social media we're on all platforms at camp half pod and you can send us emails with any of your thoughts or questions uh to camphalfpod at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us wherever you listen. Amazing. See you next time. Bye.